Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. God, we thank you that we can gather. And we use that term here, not because we don't love the, na- the term church, but sanctuary, a place of comfort, a place of safety, a place of refuge. God, may that be what this, this house is built on. That as we're restoring our gaze to you, as we're restoring our eyes to you, God, in the daily um, depth and disciplines of following you, I pray that we would be a house where people feel safe, They feel refuge. God, that this wouldn't be a place of condemnation and shame, but rather a a, a washing and a stepping into following you, God. So I'm going to do like a rehash of like the last like six weeks because I know we have new people every week and because I feel like it's important to preface um, what I'm talking about today. Uh, so what, if you've never been to Fix A or you are, don't know a ton, really our goal is to restore the gaze of humanity back to its creator. So what does that mean? Like when our eyes are on Jesus. And so how we feel like we accomplish that is through depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability. So what that looks like is for, and you can go back because H-X, just love, I love spelling Phoenix like that. I don't know why. Anyway, um, you can look up Fix 8PHX. Actually, we did two weeks on each one of these things. So depth, we talked about what depth is for two weeks. We talked about what disciplines were for two weeks. We talked about sacrifice because in my opinion, here's the deal. As we're talking about sacrifice today, I hope you realize we're not asking you to sacrifice without depth and discipline in place. And in my opinion, this is where the church a little bit has gotten things wrong, is we've so focused on sacrifice of of talents, of finances, of time, and we haven't majored on the components of what it means to be a follower with depth. And a follower with depth in the scriptures and in the Holy Spirit that leads to the disciplines of being rooted in him and what those disciplines look like. We're not going to be a place where you just hear really, really good sermons, even though I hope they're really, really good. Uh, And there's not practical elements. I believe today what most people are starving for within the component of church is practicality. How can I do this in my life? How can I walk this out? See, it's not enough anymore. We, we're past this, the day and age of church just feeling that's great for them. But I'm telling you, the churches that are going to last are going to be the ones that are rooted in practical components of which we sustainably follow God through all the seasons of our lives. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is that we are to be trees firmly planted by streams of living water that yield fruit in all seasons, not just some seasons, not just in comfortable seasons, not just when it's feeling good seasons, but all seasons. Because I believe that when we have depth and we have discipline and sacrifice working together in healthy mannerisms, we can live sustainably in which the ebbs and flows of society and the ebbs and flows of even Christianity and the, and, the, and the fractures we've seen over the last few years that ultimately we can be sustainable even when it feels like everybody else is maybe a little bit out of whack. And so I just want to encourage you today as we get into this sacrifice that ultimately we're framing it through the lens of if you have depth and you have discipline, Jesus' depth and discipline led to the greatest sacrifice. 
And I believe some of us, we're lacking fulfillment because we're all about depth. We're all about disciplines. But if we actually assessed our lives, we don't sacrifice. Or the people we do sacrifice are for people who are maybe that we believe the same thing. We love them, their family, these, but we don't know how to sacrifice for the people we don't know. We don't know how to sacrifice our financial means for the betterment of the kingdom. We don't know how to sacrifice in, in a healthy way. That, and you'll hear me say this a lot, right? Depth and sacrifice is a case for burnout if you have just those two. Discipline and sacrifice is a case for legalism if you have those two. You need depth. You need disciplines. You need sacrifice in order to have sustainability. And so today we're actually talking about generosity and and we talked about it last week because I wanted to frame two weeks on generosity because I think it's important. Why? Church has bred a level of distrust as it pertains to people and finance. I mean, for every, every person that, that follows preachers and sneakers, prophets and watches and goes on YouTube and hears the pastor say, give to my sixth jet. (laughs) Nobody's seen those. Good. Please don't watch them. People are like, all right, get my phone out. The pastor's got jets. I'm like, right, for, for these guys, we, we, have, we have such a, uh, in, in my opinion, we have sometimes an unhealthy view of what kingdom finance and generosity looks like. So what we did is last week dissect generosity through the Old Testament lens. This week, what we're going to do is di- dissect generosity from New Test, the life of Jesus and his actual words and teachings, as well as some passages from Paul. But my goal in this is not for all of us to really come to this point of like, okay, oh, I'm going to be the most generous person ever, right? And I'm not saying that'd be great if you had that, but what I care most about is faithful generosity. Because in my opinion, as believers and as Christians, there is a component of sacrificing in generosity that gets people's attention in profound ways. Literally right before this service, I was walking because we had a parking issue. The marathon decided to shut down the street up ahead, which meant that we couldn't park in our parking structure, which means me and Sean had to go talk to the guy who told us we couldn't park there, in which I had to say, well, what's your supervisor's number? Call his supervisor. And then his supervisor showed up and guess what? We're parking in there. But I, walking back, there's, there's a homeless woman right on our street in front of us. And she's, and here's the deal. If you didn't know, we're in an area of town where there's a decent amount of homeless. And I love being here because it forces me to confront my theology on if I'll sacrifice. Putting myself in environments in which, guess what? I will not just be one who preaches something. I'll be one who practices. So I walk by. She's not all there, but I can tell you this. We had Krispy Kreme donuts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let me grab them. Let me take them out. Let the, see, the thing is, is what happens then is instead of, oh, there's a church service. It's, wow, that church gave to me. That church saw me. See, this is what generosity does is when we give to somebody who doesn't expect to be given to. When we partner with kingdom in kingdom principle and practice, what happens is, is you may not realize, I, I say this all the time, somewhere in our 20s where we grow up and we say, oh, I just want to change the world. And then all of a sudden it gets to like, yeah, but I got to pay the bills. And I want to encourage you, in my opinion, the easiest way for you to change the world is by being generous. Finding causes and believing in the local church and partnering with it in a monetary sense is something that, in my opinion, faithfully and sustainably 
can see the world change. Now, maybe it doesn't fit the lens of what we feel like world change is, but I promise you it fits Jesus's. A few years ago, I was, um, I always jump into stories in the beginning because I've got to get everybody in before we just go in quick, biblically. Some people are like, what does that mean? Don't worry, you'll feel it later. Um, a few years ago, I, I had done, I've done missions kind of all over the world. It's been incredible. Got a lot of great stories. You'll hear them over the years here. Uh, but one of the nations I was uh, in most recently was Mozambique. Um, and we were in Mozambique. And what's crazy is, and this is the stuff when I talk about generosity in the church, this is Chinari who had um, gotten connected with a company who made solar paneled Bibles. So what happened, uh, what they did is they would go in, find a local tribe, um, and then ultimately kind of who had a church, and they would go to a pastor, and the pastor would, over a voice recording um, in their native language, would record the book of John, and then ultimately they'd put that in a, on a, a transmitter with a solar panel on it due to charge. It would recite the gospel of John out loud. And so it was really cool with our church, the church that we were at, we bought like over 600 of these, these Bibles and we actually carried them in literally. Like we, we, we carried them in, brought them in. And then we had, we drove all over to these villages way out in Mozambique, giving away these, these, uh, we called them talking Bibles. That's kind of what everybody um, called them. It was just an incredible experience. But before we got in South Africa, and so we were in South Africa in the airport waiting for our plane to leave. And I was walking around and some of you guys are, you're going to be like, where are you going with this? Don't worry. Just come along for the ride. And I walked back up past uh, one of them airport massage booths. Some people are like, what's going, what is, don't worry, you're here. And when you're here, your family, Applebee's, I don't know. Um, is that what, no, eating good in the neighborhood, right? Eating good. What's, what's the one when you're here, your family? Olive Garden. Hey, those breadsticks used to slap. Now they taste like styrofoam cups. Um, people are like, amen. Bring them back, God. Make breadsticks great again. <laughs> what are we doing right now? Uh, so I'm in, I'm in South Africa in an airport. And as I'm in this airport, I look at this massage booth and I'm walking by and it, it gives the price for a foot and calf massage and it's $3. That's one, two, three. Now today with inflation, it'd probably be 333. But back then it was $3. And I remember looking, I was with a guy and I looked at him and I was like, does that say? He said, yeah, it does. And then I looked at my dad and we're all looking at each other like, I says $3 for a foot and calf massage. <laughs> so what happens? I literally look, my dad goes, oh, I'm just going to go to the gate. You guys can get one. So you better believe I got one. I'm going to tell you this to this day. That was the best massage I've ever had in my life. Besides my wife. You see how I did that? You see what I did? Um, now what's funny about this story is this. We're sitting there. We're sitting there and it's going great. What we didn't know is that international flights, they board earlier and they closed the door sooner because of custom stuff. So we're sitting there in the airport, and for 30 minutes, man, I'm telling you what, my toes, my calves, I don't know what oil. This was like before essential oils was cool. It's like they were like pulling them out. I'm like, dang, I ain't never smelled that before. Nowadays, it's just like everywhere. You're just like, wow. Oh. Oh. 
And we get, we get done and like I stand up and it's like, dang, I, I literally have like, I am walking on clouds right now. My feet, everything just feel incredible. Mosey through there. Mosey through, man, the calves are just feeling so good. And I remember we take a tram and as we're taking the tram, we get off the tram, we're coming down the escalator and my dad is at the base of the escalator and I'm probably 26 at the time. And he is looking at me like I, like I, I can tell when my dad's mad, my dad is hot. And I'm like, what is going on? He's just mad he didn't get no calves, <laughs> right? And I get to the base and he goes, he goes, we, they have already boarded. Everybody is on the plane. I am telling them to wait. We still have to take a tram. We need to run. And all of a sudden it goes from like, damn, moseying around, checking everything out, getting them calves done to like, oh shoot, we, we may have messed up. And it's funny because we made our flight, but I'm going to tell you this. That was the maddest I saw my dad in my 20s. I swear out of anything is when I got that calf massage. <laughs> but the, I remember most is, is what, I, what I was going for, right? It was the talking Bibles and the things in Mozambique. But the thing that almost derailed it was that in between in which I was just looking for something comfortable and for something to pass time that was easy. And I just want to challenge us for a second because I believe that Christian disciplines and I would say the uncomfortable things that we a little bit like inside feel the friction of our souls around, we should, we kind of shrink back because it confronts a posture of comfortability. And, and I want to say this, you, you aren't made for the comfortable realm. You weren't made for just the conducive for where you're at. See, we're going to talk about sustainability in the next few weeks, but sustainability doesn't just mean it all feels good all the time. And I want to say this, some of us, we've adopted this, this, this mindset of like, man, I'm on mission for God. And God's like, no, you're in an airport. Getting... See, some of us, we're like, man, God, I really love you. I'm really going after you. Like one thing that I was convicted of, I, I wasn't even going to say this, but I'm going to, is like how many of us, man, we love worship and I see the hands up and everything, but worship was always to be an activator to outside faith. I pray that you love telling people about Jesus just as much as you love lifting your hands. I pray that we love sacrificial servanthood just as much as we love the newest and best song. I pray that these postures aren't just things that we only think about on Sunday mornings, but we get up out of the massage chair and realize that we've got something more. And I would even say this as it pertains to finances, generosity, and these things. The reason I tell you this story is because so often I feel like we trade in the... the the comfort and the theology of this of man-made doctrine, consumption and consumerism. And we forget that we serve a God who wants us to practice faith. So let's read in the Bible. What I want to talk about is generosity through New Testament lens. And if you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to listen to it because essentially we kind of probed around and, and kind of came to this one thought that I wanted to challenge people on. And it was this is ultimately, um, where am I? I was wondering if I'm even in the right document. <laughs> But essentially, we talked about what it means to 
if we believed that, that Old Testament scripture can still command Old Testament blessing and essentially looked at the generosity was not just, was the foundation of the priesthood, right? Is that the, the original first priest was actually somebody who had practiced generosity and in their generosity was given presentation, Adam and Eve, and how ultimately the reason that even took place is because Abel was more generous than Cain, gave the best and not just what he had. And then we looked into the foundation of the temple construction, the temporary and the permanent and the rebuilding of the temple, all three elements tied to generosity and essentially going through the lens of, I would say, most major moments of Christian establishment are tied to the generosity of followers of of God. And so today what I wanted to talk about is Jesus' thoughts on generosity And in my opinion, I'm going to actually start with this today, is that I believe that Jesus doesn't command exact decimal points of giving on purpose. And the reason that is, and I'm going to give you my frame of thought for this, is because it was so baked in and ingrained to Jewish culture to be a giver, that what God talked about is not necessarily the components of finite rules, but the heart, the thing was just who people, that's just a, 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 a habit and a practice that everybody possessed, but people did not possess the right heart behind it. They'd taken the, the law, the Mosaic law, and essentially it'd been an, this, this thing that was designed for proximity with God, but at the same time, what we see in the Old Testament is it becomes an inhibitor. And in my opinion, Jesus comes on the scene not necessarily to abolish, but to fulfill. And in the fulfillment, what he's fulfilling is heart posture. Not heart, not physical behavior, heart posture. So what I wanted to do is I want to read a couple of these passages because I just feel like they're so important. In my opinion, Jesus comes on the scene and what he's doing is he's attacking the thinking behind behaviors always. He's challenging the perception of why you do what you do always. And not just in generosity, but laced within almost every theme and every teaching is why are you functioning like this? Why do you think that way? Why do you practice like this? Matthew 6, chapter 1 through verse 4, and then 19 through 21, it says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Many of us know what's going on as the Pharisees are doing things in public as religious leaders to esteem their status as people of importance. Let's keep reading. It says this. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you. Literally, I just told my donut story. I repent, God. Um, As the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for us where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. So in the beginning, we have a thought, right? 
Why are we giving? Don't give to be seen. Don't give to be known. Give and be generous to show where your treasure is. And, and even that left hand know what the right hand is doing, I find that so important because I believe that in our day and age, we don't have impulsive generosity. Words together, yeah, we're confronting ideology. Impulsive generosity is when somebody's in need and you know it, and you know you have the means, you respond. And I'll say this for me, whenever I, a few weeks ago, we had a friend who, who couldn't make rent. And it was one of those where we could have easily been like, hey, you can't pay rent. Guess what? You should have probably been a little bit more responsible. You should have probably, you should have budgeted. You should have this. But you know what? We had the means to help. And so we did. You know what's fascinating about that is that we gave them a, a decent amount for us to pay somebody. And somebody had Venmoed me the exact amount that I had stepped out and responded with. And I remember looking at Grace and laughing because in the moment I was feeling like the gosh, how do, you, how do you mess up on rent? Like, but guess what? Impulsive generosity is God by treasures in heaven. It's not on earth, so I don't hoard it like it's mine. I give it like it's yours. And I believe a lot of us, we are, we're all about treasure being in heaven, but we're not about being the treasure on earth. And I promise you that Jesus' teachings are about heart and the discipline of being impulsively generous and faithful in giving. And if you couldn't tell by now, I'm not hammering tithing. Do I believe in tithing to your local church if you are faithful and you view it as that? Absolutely, I'll get into that later. But what I do believe is that in this day and age, this weird like dynamic of, can I just lead you to a prayer and then notch one on the belt that I got you saved? That generosity can be a key that unlocks people's perception of what the kingdom is. That when we're generous to people who don't deserve it, doesn't that sound like the gospel? Doesn't that sound like the God we serve? Giving with no emphasis on what I'm getting back. For your embetterment, not mine. That's literally the resurrection story. Let's keep reading Mark 12, 41 through verse 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began, I love this, observing how people were putting money in. Now, how do you know that it's baked in culturally generosity? This passage right here. Literally, you show up to church with the expectation that you are going to walk. Let's keep reading. And I referenced this, this last week, but I think it's important to reference again. A poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributions to the treasury, for they all put in out of surplus, but she out of poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Now, the NSB 1995, my favorite translation, actually gives you a one, it's a 164th uh, drachma, I believe. Uh, and I might have misquoted that, and Roger, we could talk about it later. But, <laughs> but, uh, but in that, actually, if you break down what that means, is it's 164th of a daily wage. If you took the American daily wage, you broke down the average, right, average, Daily wage in America would come out to what that woman gave was about $2.43. 
Jesus sitting there watching the contributions going in, looks at the woman who gave $2.43 and says, man, that one, that heart. See, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. And Jesus is, is pulling us into this place of, is your heart generous? Is your treasures his? Is your money his? Is the riches of this earth, are they his? Or is everything that we view, everything that we possess, all about the consumption and consumerism that our culture has pushed on us? I pray today that you're evaluating your theology of your generosity. Once again, not for our benefit. Because I'm going to say this. If we are generous Christians and generous believers, I believe God will, will force us to be the longer we walk with him. As a mark of true submission. And what I mean by that is I believe that God wants full maturity in the faith, but full maturity is nothing's off limits. And I believe for some of us, we want the full maturity and others of us, God's like, hey, but you have some limits. He, he was talking about how a lot of us, uh, to view ourselves like a, like a hotel, where we invite Jesus in and imagine somebody walking up to the counter and saying, hey, I want to reserve every room in this hotel. And ultimately us looking and be like, well, you can, well, I don't know if you can do that. Like, let me hold back because we don't know. Well, we might have more people come in or there might be something that comes up and essentially this, this component of, of this guy willing to step forward to the counter and pay full price for every room but we have to be willing to let him do that. But us, and it was so profound to me because I was like, man, God, is there any place where you've stepped forward and said, I have paid a full price to be present in this in your life. Will you allow me to? And one of the things was generosity. And in my opinion, it wasn't the generosity because me and my wife are, are faithful givers. It was impulsive generosity. It was God, eyes are open to it. If you bring it across my path, I will not cross to the other side of the street and hope somebody else handles it. Let's keep reading. Luke 8, 1 through verse 3. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven de demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others. It means, I love this. First off, I love that it quotes three women's names here. Right? Three women's names where God's pointing out and essentially saying, because of their generosity, Jesus was able to do the things that he did. And I want to challenge you within that paradigm. Some of us, we look at our meager generosity as God, what can you do with that? And God's like, I can, I can move with it. Like right now, we essentially are looking at the, the Christ, the son of the living God, who when he needed to pay the temple tax, literally got a gold coin. We're like, man, we're going to give and we're going to believe and we're going to support. And that's Jesus' ministry funded through the generosity and the givingness of his followers. What I'm saying to you today is this, is where is your generosity and where are your treasures? 
And like, like I said, I feel like it's, it's important for me to say this. Like We're talking though through the lens of depth and discipline. Because in my opinion, if we're sacrificing without the depth and disciplines in place, we're setting ourselves up for a level of like, not, not for our faith to be met, but for us to, to not necessarily in essence understand the holistic levels of what generosity can do to our lives. But with that, one of the most famous, in my opinion, though, as is and um, tithing or giving it was abolished in, in the law is what you see in the Old Testament. And essentially, we've reframed that that for me personally, we see tithing and we see giving established before the Mosaic law was ever instituted, similar to what Sabbath was done. We see, t- we see sim- behaviors that were modeled before Mosaic law was given in which we're supposed to model as believers really from the beginning of time to now. And for me, one of those things to talk about tithing in the essence of giving faithfully and consistently. And in this one, I find it interesting is wording. And it's, it's a reproof given to Pharisees, but it gives eyesight and legs to stand on for our posture as what it means to have that disposition of being generous. It says this, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin. Now, how many of you guys know, if I was like, all right, guys, next week, we're not doing tithes and offerings, we're bringing the herb gardens in. First off, none of us would have them because it's so hot here. We tried to grow some stuff and it just worked in the wintertime, but not in the summer. But let's keep reading because this is, once again, holistically, Jewish culture wasn't just God, I want to give you my money. It was God, I'm generous to you in everything you supply. But here's where it gets fascinating, this passage, because this is where they miss the bro and the reproof is formed. And you have, but you have neglected weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now I'm going to say this, this is where the depth and disciplines come in place. This passage right here, right? Is because in in the church today, I, I'm just going to say it. And you, you know, if I get a little sauce for it later, you know, it is what it is, but we want to, we want to give, but we don't want to have in mind the weightier provisions. Well, well, I'm a giver, yeah, but do we practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness? Not just within the lens of money, and Jesus would tither, but don't forget to be faithful. Don't forget to practice justice. Don't forget to be somebody who is wholehearted in what they do and follows the weightier provisions of law. Then it says this, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus always just like talking that stuff. <laughs> the wording though, not neglecting the others. Now I would say this today, in my opinion, the traditional elements of Jesus's ministry are a little bit neglected. And what I mean by that is I would say Sabbath rest, the examples of Jesus set in prayer and fasting, and generosity. See, we can, we can be hyper aware of, the, of righteousness and justice. We can believe the foundational, like, ingrained elements of Jesus' life, Sabbath, and understanding what rest is, rest and retreat. 
fasting and prayer and ultimately what that Jesus what did that to Jesus's ministry and generosity in terms of what Jesus ministry did for others I think we we overlook and so what I wanted to do is I just wanted to challenge you with what does it mean to have the action and activity present of being generous with the right heart And I'm going to say that again. What does it mean to have the action and activity of being generous and with the right heart? I am definitely going really long, so I'm going to throw out a bunch of scriptures and kind of wrap this up. But Pauline writings on giving is is a whole other lens that you see in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament. I mean, Acts 20, 35, um, there is a great one in which... Um, it talks about being more blessed to give than to receive. Acts eleven twenty, receiving an offering in order to take care of a famine that would be happening in the land. Second uh, Corinthians eight and nine, in my opinion, is one of the most like, like real meaty passages on generosity. First Timothy five seventeen to eighteen, Paul's instruction to Timothy on providing for those who preach, providing for those who lead, but also structuring the church around what it means to be generous. Ephesians four twenty eight. Um, and third John one a labor among you and partnering with people who labor among you. But I would say this. For me, and and my parting thought is this, in Philippians 4.13, the most tattooed verse of all time. This one was the most profound to me because I believe, right, we all know that I can do all things. That's one where you got to like say it from like your boat, like I do, I do the all. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of that verse is written as Paul is thanking the church of Philippi for their generosity. Many of us maybe don't even know that that entire verse was about how he can do all things through Christ if people don't provide and aren't generous. He still trusts God, but thank you for being generous. Next time you see somebody with that tattoo, I encourage you to go up to him and like tongue in cheek, like, also you must be a really generous giver. Because the whole context of the verse is, hey, church, thank you. I appreciate you. And once again, I felt like it was important for us to understand sacrifice through the lens. And we talked about sacrifice through the lens of our our gifts and our talents and sacrifice through the lens of our generosity. And in this day and age, I believe God's going to do something in the generosity of the church that's profound. And I believe God's going to do something profound in our church through the generosity of our people. Our story, our story here is if, if you didn't know that in downtown, people tell us, well, you're not going to get a building. And if you are, it's going to be crazy expensive. Then you're not going to be able to find parking, and we did both. And you're not going to be able to get a worship team because it's terrible to say, but I'm just going to say it. Everybody pays, everybody, every musician, every... You, then you're, you're, you're just not, everything was you're not, you're not, oh, you're going to be a church for, for young people, for young professionals, for 20 to 35, oh, well, those aren't the reasons of how you should play in a church, but the reason was is because we were just so ingrained with what we felt like God called us to do. 
And I think that for some of us, I would, I would challenge you in this, even outside of generosity, is I pray that you never look at what, what's always been done and exclude what God's called you to do because it doesn't fit in the box of what's always been done. I pray that you never discount or discredit what you have to offer because it's, it's just a little bit outside of the reality. But God has provided. And he has provided over and over and over in every season, in every situation. In September of last year, we knew two people and they're in the back with the child. And look at what God's doing. And I just want to challenge you today to never have limits on what God can do. And in this context, sure, through finance, but really in any context, don't have limits on what God can do. He can use you. And he wants to use you. 